0: Hey everyone and welcome to Alumless. I am Ryan Catherwood. It is February the 16th Friday. Got a great show for you. Apologies for the technical difficulties we had on the live stream. Sometimes things go right. sometimes things go wrong, but we're here. We're gonna record a great episode with Sarah and we're thankful that you've joined us. Uh, you're watching this after the facts. So we're not live, so um, we will. Uh, try to respond to questions in the stream when we can complete the show and post it. So don't hesitate to ask those questions in the live stream uh, Then, when we post it on LinkedIn here after we complete the recording. Uh, I am joined by CMAX CEO Chris Marshall. Uh, alumless is a CMAX production. And of course, please be sure to pick up the bonus section of Uh, the alumnus by subscribing to our podcast version, which you can find through your favorite podcast app. Of course, you'll hear the Friday Cheers section, where we explore some other topics not specifically related to university advancement. All right. Well, before we get too far down the line, I want to make sure to introduce our fantastic sponsor, Protopia has created a transformational AI-powered technology that matches questions from students or recent graduates with alumni all over the world that are perfectly positioned to answer them. Without asking alumni to be mentors and participate in programs spread out over months or sign up for a new app or platform, Protopia makes scaling introductions simple. Questions get submitted and Protopia's AI does all the work. Protopia can even target stakeholders like young alumni or lapsed donors and provide them with a meaningful volunteer experience. And who isn't trying to scale volunteerism? Visit protopia.co forward slash alumnus for more details and check out the technology that schools like Duke, Denison, Florida State, and the London School of Economics are using to make sure their alumni networks are available to everyone. All right. Well, hey Chris, we had a little discombobulation, but we're back in the saddle. We're uh 45 episodes into Alumless and we're rolling with the punches. Every once in a while they happen, and the good news is I feel like our community is rather forgiving about these things, you know? Uh-oh. I think dude, people do people do understand free podcast after all. Yeah, if we could be one out of
1: 45 with a technical live glitch, we're doing okay, I think so. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I totally agree, right? I feel like that's a pretty good record so far. Yeah, and um I agree. I'm surprised we haven't had more technology challenges beforehand, but um hopeful reminder that they can still happen. Uh, but look, you know, we have it's been a really great month, February. It's been a busy month for for CMAC. You know, this month we kicked off three new assessment projects with different schools across the country, which has been awesome. We're always trying to provide recommendations that are fitting for those institutions. And um, when you think about it, when I think about it, too, you know, what are those factors that really kind of help provide the type of fit that make you know our recommendations come to life through different types yeah. of programs, initiatives or, or different approaches to engagement?
1: yeah um and I, I thought when we when we first recorded this i answered it really well so i'm going to try to do as well as the second time <laughs> on this question and here's my he answer, did answer a lot. <laughs> uh, here's my answer on this so uh we try to deliver a bespoke product every time we work with a new client so that we're not you know cutting and pasting cookie cuttering from something else we've done and being authentic to that you know goal um and, and wanting institution to get value from our work. I, I see there's three things that we need to understand before we can deliver any kind of assessment work. Um, and what I like to say is we know the industry and we're learning the institution and blending those two things together is the art form in consulting. And the three things that I think are most important are institutional culture. We need to know the place. We need to know what's really going on under the hood there and, know, and get to know them and the people in the place and the way they are and their traditions and histories. It's number one. Number two is the evolutionary stage of their alumni program is really important. Um, an Ivy League school may have 100 plus years of doing alumni engagement and a regional public institution may have less than 10 years doing alumni engagement. So we need to know that in when we provide a recommendation. And the third one is an obvious one, but really important is budget and staffing, resource realities, where they are. I was had a call earlier today with a woman who's at Guilford College, who is one staff of twenty for 21,000 alumni, and she's it for alumni engagement. She's doing, she's wearing three hats. So recommendations to Guilford are going to be different than what we might do for a school that has, you know, four or five staff in that same scenario with 20,000 alumni. So uh, it's always going to come down to those things. So institutional culture, evolutionary stage of their alumni program, and budget and staffing realities.
0: And sometimes when we do this work, we do the assessments, we learn that there are kind of Fundamental alignment issues that are connected to the foundation, to the alumni association. How does school? How should schools be thinking about positioning the alumni association, and how should alumni associations themselves be thinking about evolving in that area? Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I use a posture metaphor, and when I think about boards, a board leaning in too far, leaning back too far. But I also think of it posture in the same way with an alumni program. An alumni program, in my opinion, needs to lean in on the fundraising side and be part, an active part of what I call it, we call Ryan an integrated advancement program and, and not be shy about the fact that good engagement will lead to many outcomes. And one of them is fundraising. So I think, you know, we look for, in fact, a lot of our work, Ryan, we get schools call us cause they have a problem with that exact fundamental issue where the alumni program has leaned too far away and say, no, 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 we don't touch that dark side of fundraising. We're the friend raisers over here. I mean, literally people don't use those terms as much anymore, but we hear that kind of language from vice presidents pretty often. Um, the other thing I'll share on this one is that, in my opinion, that a, a good, the best alumni, and we're going to talk to somebody here in a second that has a program that falls in this category. The best alumni programs out there are ones that are alumni engagement programs on behalf of the university. There are some alumni associations out there, Ryan, as you know, that, and Sarah can talk about this too, I'm sure. Um, where the alumni engagement program is for the benefit of the alumni association. So think about that for a second. It's not for that purpose. You don't have an alumni association to make your alumni association better. You have an alumni association to make your university better. And believe it or not, there are many examples out there where um, that fundamental difference is is, is, uh, our fundamental reality is just missed on some leaders. And and they spend their time building a strong alumni program that's for their association, not for the university. So I think that's a distinction that's important.
0: Such an interesting area of our work and a really complicated one. So I'm glad we have uh, a guest, Sarah uh, Schut, from the Wisconsin Alumni Association and Foundation, of course, uh, connected to the University of Wisconsin at Madison. And she's going to help us shed some light on this complicated issue. So let's bring Sarah out to the front. Hey, Sarah, how are you?
2: Hi, I'm great. Happy Friday to both of you.
0: Yeah, Good to see you. Thank you so much for being here.
2: Well, it's such a pleasure to be here. I'm honored and uh, apologies to the viewers for um, not being able to see this live, but hopefully we can capture the same energy and experience in this format.
0: We'll make it work. Yeah, no no doubt about it. So you have a couple of titles. Uh, I was looking at your LinkedIn profile. Your titles have changed a little bit, right? Your organization has changed quite a bit. That means I suspect your work has changed a little bit. What's been going on at the University of Wisconsin over the last few years such that your titles have changed and things are a bit different now?
2: All Thanks so much, Ryan. Well, um, the most significant thing is that, you know, for over 160 years, the Wisconsin Alumni Association existed as a standalone 501c3 typical alumni operation. Since 1945, at the University of Wisconsin, the UW Foundation existed as the standalone fundraising operation. And 10 years ago, this year, in 2014, our two organizations merged. And we remain outside of the university. So we are a standalone 501c3 combined integrated advancement operation. So what has happened over the course of the last 10 years, and Chris, you were just referencing this um, in the last segment. We when you were talking about we've become an integrated advancement organization I have two titles because that represents sort of the two um, views of the work that I do internally functionally for our organization on behalf of the university I'm the chief alumni officer but we recognize our constituents four hundred and eighty thousand alumni have recognized Wisconsin Alumni Association for over a century and a half as their connection to the university. So I retained and we consciously retained the executive director of WAA title to represent the brand to our external constituents, while internally, functionally, I'm the chief alumni officer. So um, that is sort of what happened in that simple title situation actually reflects our evolution and our approach and what we've been working on in terms of how do we operate most efficiently and optimally to serve the university and our constituents and how are we representing ourselves as a place for our constituents to come in in whatever way they want to engage?
1: Let me jump in with an unscripted question, Sarah this one's an easy one though I think off the top of your head you'll know this. Um, other schools have done, you're one of the earlier ones in this process and other schools have followed mm-hmm. in this regard. Mm-hmm. The one I'm aware of is John Valvet at Oregon State has a similar model to what you're describing. Mm-hmm. Tick off a few others that you're aware of. You were just had the CAAE meeting where these, were all you yes. guys got together. So who else yes. is in the same boat as you in this integrated, uh, single 501c3 model?
2: You know, um when uh when we were going through this 10 years ago we used ohio state um uh while they you know we all continue to evolve um we looked at ohio state a lot i know that iowa has made a transition to the center for advancement purdue purdue for life has made a transition those are a couple of peer institutions within the big 10 um I, you know, one of the points of variation are sometimes that integration is happening and it is within the university and sometimes it's happening and it's separate from the university and honestly I have trouble keeping track of, of which is which, but, um, it is becoming, I feel like we were sort of in the first wave and now there's another wave where it's becoming increasingly common and where, um, that integration is happening.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. What have been some of your growing pains, Sarah?
2: Oh gosh. You know, you know, Ryan, um, as I reflect back on the last 10 years, it's a little bit hard to, dis- to distinguish growing pains related to the merger and growing pains related to just the vast amount of change in our industry and in society and the conditions we're facing right now. So I'll try to suss it out just a, a little bit. Um, you know, I think an early one, and Chris, you referenced this, was You know, we had 160 years history of being a separate entity where largely the work that we were doing was on, was for, not for the, it was for the benefit of alumni, but the alumni association was the endpoint. And so we had to really transition our thinking and recognize and embrace and celebrate that that we can be an an entity in people's lives, but our end goal is for the university. We're not the, we're the means to an end. We're a means to engage with the university. We're not the end point of engagement. So that was one, I wouldn't say growing pain, but that was an aha, and evolution. I think the other ones have to do with just traditional change management, people feeling anxious. Um, We also, 10 years ago, we're getting a new CRM and as a 10 year anniversary present to ourselves we're getting a new crm right now so there's <laughs> process process growing pains but um you know it is it's the other pieces of really understanding embracing the idea that we are all doing advancement whether you're a frontline fundraiser whether you're in communications whether you're doing annual giving whether you're doing engagement programming or constituent management we're all doing advancement we're just doing it in slightly different degrees to slightly slightly different ways at different points on the engagement timeline for people. So not so much a growing pain as an ongoing realization and the responsibility that comes from that and needing to know and understand what my colleagues are doing. I can't say development's not for me. I don't need to know about that. I have to say, I need to learn as much as I can about that because that makes my work stronger. Yeah.
1: So I just referenced that you were at, so the the CAAE, I said it too quick before, the Council for the Alumni Association Executives is an organization of 80 to 90 larger size public and private institutions where your position gets together and you have therapy for two days basically with each other and you teach each other, you know, sort of best practices and it's a wonderful thing. But let's just say you're at that conference and someone says to Mm -hmm. you, Sarah, we're headed down a similar path that you guys did 10 years ago. What advice do you give to your colleagues on these issues?
2: Yeah, you know, I think one piece of advice is um, to to attend to the change man- management and invest in the time to, to hear stakeholders. I don't mean send a survey out to all your alumni base and ask their opinion because one of our learnings was, Alumni don't care how we're organized. Right. Alumni yeah. feel their connection with the university, and they actually don't really want to know how we're organized. So we never told people that we merged. We just merged. Um, <laughs> but internally and 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 our and our high level volunteers, their involvement and insights um, from that outside perspective were invaluable to us. So I would say, The extent to which you can involve your governing boards and your advisory councils in the conversation, take time to hear concerns from staff, so you know, um, so you know kind of what to run after first. I'm a huge believer in Maslow's hierarchy, so people are going to people are not going to grasp the existential beauty of a merger until they know, well, I keep my job. Where am I going to sit? Can I wear jeans on Friday? Do we get the day after Thanksgiving off? <laughs> it just It's Maslow's hierarchy at work. So uh, don't overlook the fundamental basic human needs because people will get to the existential a lot faster. And then I think it's adopt a learning mindset. Um, it's its accept the fact that can, things will continually change and seek the opportunity and embrace the opportunity to learn and grow within your sphere and make your sphere stronger, rather than put walls up and say no, 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 no. I'm going to get tainted if I do this. Those would be my pieces of advice.
0: Yeah, great, great advice. Yeah, I guess sort of a quick sort of follow up thought, um, Sarah. The the two title aspects, right? The executive director, Wisconsin Alumni. Given the fact that it feels like alumni don't. Care right? How the how we're aligned? Do you still think that second sort of title, that reference to the alumni association, like that dual title thing, is is necessary? If you if you had to do it again, would you? Is that a recommendation? The dual title?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a fair question, Ryan. And thanks for pointing out that uh, what could seem to be a discrepancy there. Um, the reason is less about the the title in our organization and more about the recognizability of the brand. And so we had, you know, we've spent decades and decades creating brand affinity and trust with our constituents that if they travel, if they participate in the WAA travel program, that means something. If they're in a WAA chapter, that means something. If they're at WAA's grandparents university program, that means something. And so we retained it for that recognizability of we are we are the place where you can come and amplify your relationship with the university. It was more we didn't see a need to eliminate it um, because people recognized it. So it's really less about how we're structured and more about what is the brand we are going to put out in front of people when we are focused on one to many engagement at scale. Likewise, the foundation still presents as the foundation. When they're talking to a seven-figure donor about a gift fund agreement, we did some study about um, how people react to our two brands and listed characteristics, and each brand has unique characteristics that are a both-and rather than an either-or. So it's really more about how are we presenting our various areas of expertise and our various tones of of our complexity to particular audiences, kind of like audience segmentation almost. Yeah. But I don't know if that makes sense. It doesn't really speak to the structure as much as it is to the really sense. leveraging the brand.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about the first two elements when we do any work with a client, institutional culture and mm-hmm. uh, evolutionary stage. You put those two yeah. things together and the WAA makes sense to stay as a brand. Um, yeah. Some institutions, it may be, I mean, it's not a one size fits all in this decision. There's going to be nuance based on those two factors, I think.
2: And I tell when I do new employee orientation, I always tell my new colleagues, I'm the executive director of nothing. I'm the executive director of a brand, but you know, to our constituents <laughs> it it means something because right. people know what that is.
0: Yeah.
2: Don't tell anybody. <laughs> Don't tell my boss.
0: Would you say there's any downside to the 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 way that you all merge from two organizations into one?
2: um. I don't think there's any downs. I, I will completely transparently. I don't think there is a downside. That said, I can only speak from the perspective of our situation at UW Madison. It was absolutely the best thing we could have done for our constituents and our university, for our organization to merge. As we went through, you know, challenging times through the pandemic, there were benefits because. Whereas I had colleagues in independent organizations really thinking about their revenue streams, I think about my revenue streams in a different way. I think about my resources in a different way. So in terms of, for us, absolutely the best decision, we are able to go to scale much more. We are able to go to a higher level of performance in the products and the experiences we put out because we have more resources. And we're really able, I think, to... Um, use our tools, our CRM, our data, and a similar approach to really strengthen the advancement operation and be a better partner with campus, much more so than I could have done forty with 40 people 10 years ago. Um, downsides could be in how you go about, and again, that's got to be unique to each individual institutional situation. I would say that Without buy in of leadership and um, without buy in of leadership of the respective organizations and the university, it could be a downside because you could end up spending a lot of time trying to repair that. We were already in a good place with that. Um, So there could be some pitfalls, uh, but for us and for the results and the outcomes we're striving for with our constituents and our institution is hands down fantastic.
0: Would you say there's a program or initiative that you really you couldn't have done without the merger? As as things have progressed, have sort of realized some of those efficiencies. Maybe not just a program, but maybe process and improvement that y'all have gone through could be either.
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. I know that um, that had we not merged, we would not be where we're at in terms of ability to gather data analyze data use data and use it in a comprehensive and strategic way in thinking about our audiences and the impact of our our products whether they're communication or um, whether they're stewardship or whether they're engagement so that that couldn't have happened we wouldn't have had the capacity to use data and be as far along um, as I feel like we are. Um, you know, I think the other thing, and over the course of the last 10 years, we've gone entirely through one campaign and we're in the midst of celebrating our 175th anniversary. And I think about, um, I think about what we've been able to create and produce as far as experiences for our constituents that we no way could we have done that unless we merged, we didn't have the resources, we didn't have the, the, um, concentration of creativity and, and the kind of start to finish, uh, uh, resource and process to execute on things like campaign launch events, campaign close events, um, 175th gala celebration, which our entire team did in house. Um, so I think about those as opportunities that would have been missed as well as, uh, you know, continued, uh, benefit to our constituents. You know, there's an op- there would have been an opportunity cost to them of sort of bifurcating their attention and not all of us being unified um, in, in support of the university.
1: You, you talk about the campaign launch events, like it was just a natural thing. And there are some alumni leaders out there who see the alumni, see the campaign launch as someone else's responsibility. They're not part of that because they're in the separate group. And you just talked about it so naturally, and it just makes complete sense to me. I love the way you speak about it. So that's great. Um, Remind me, Sarah, how long have you been at the University of Wisconsin? I've been
2: at UW in different roles since 1994. I started, I'm a student affairs person. I started in residence life um, and worked in the profession for about 10 years. And then I went over to the school of ed in an outreach role. And then I started at the alumni association in 2001.
1: Right. And, and Paula was the leader then
2: um Paula was point. yep Paula hired me she was the she was the CEO and president of our organization yeah
1: so you started when you were nine 30 years ago
2: <laughs> <laughs> you're very kind yeah. I had a birthday this week that was a that was an uncomfortable birthday so I'm, uh, <laughs> I appreciate you saying that
1: <laughs> I'm approaching that uncomfortable birthday too in a couple of years um <laughs> so, so having been at the institution and knowing how the so you, you're in the association starting in 01 and Thirteen years later, twenty fourteen, you you move to this merge. So there's a culture that exists then, and then there's yeah. a culture now. How would you describe the changes in the culture between those two eras, if you will?
2: You know, I think each of our cultures kind of came to the center a little bit. Um, I think um, we were um, as a as when I first started, you know, we were people describing, themselves as a mom and pop operation. And it had been a mom and pop operation. I think it was around 35 or 30 or 35 people when I started. And we got to about 45 before we merged and things were still very much, very collegial, very collaborative, very family-like, but a little fly by the seat of your pants, a little bit, um, whim, uh, on, Hey, that's a good idea. Let's do that. And I'm not criticizing that because I don't think we were alone. We were just sort of Doing things that we thought our alumni would like, and we didn't have a lot of data or a lot of evidence of it. Partly because the world it didn't exist so much then, but that was just the way we operated. The foundation at the time, I think, was much more conservative. You know, there were um, pretty strict dress codes under that leader. There were pretty strict um, approaches, and I think after we merged. That there were different. There was a leadership change too, but some of that loosened up, um, and I think our colleagues are are relieved and happy about that. But I think as we came together, we were able to bring a more one to many community perspective, and then learn and adopt more of the gravitas of when you're talking to a seven figure donor and what you need to think about. More of the discipline of how we measure our work, um, and and really thinking through stewardship and that extending relationships with people. Ours was more of a, let's do this thing. It's overdone. We did great. Boom. Onto the next thing. So um, we kind of, we relaxed them and they upped our game more.
1: Yeah. So there's a loosening up and a buttoning up to meet in the middle, basically. Right? (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yep. That's cool. It's Great. What are you most excited about Sarah, as you think about, the, the second half of the year here and the work that you all are doing?
2: Yeah, thank you for asking that. We are right smack in the middle of our 175th anniversary, demi semi sept centennial. Um, we did wait a minute, bunch wait of cool minute, Wait
1: a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Say that again. Yeah, yeah.
2: Demi semi sept centennial, which it, it, strangely, that is apparently the accepted term for a 175th and technically it translates to half of half of 700 why they chose to go at it that way i don't know but that's what it translates the to correct, that's been fun for all of us to practice all year.
1: the correct pronunciation we did 175th some really, sarah just so you know.
2: <laughs> that that's why we call it the 175th we did it, some though. really great really really great stuff last year including a state tour Um, around to to six or five key areas of the state. We're going to six more this year. So I'm really excited to wrap up that state tour, spread the message of university impact. Um, Sort of internally, functionally, like many of my colleagues, I am trying to crack the nut and optimize our chapter network. And how do we harness the passion and the dedication of those volunteers in a way that points in the direction of where we need to go strategically and mitigates and minimizes risk for both entities. So that's not as sexy, but that's a big thing right now. That's that's a whole other show right
1: there on that topic alone. Oh,
2: I'll have to to come back and tell you how it goes. Um, You know, the other thing I'm both excited about and working on is, you know, case, case we've been working under the alumni engagement metrics for several years now. Um, And really excited about where the industry is going in terms of unification on that. We're really working on what's that next step and how do we, now that we know what we're measuring and what to track, now how are we measuring impact and really leveraging our new CRM and, and collectively working with our colleagues to think about what are our shared outcomes and how are we showing that we're getting to those outcomes beyond a hundred people came to this great thing and had a good time. Like, how are we showing deepening a relationship? How are we showing cultivation? How are we showing, um, you know, uh, uh, movement towards supporting um, where appropriate? Um, So yeah, I'm excited about that. I have some team members, including myself, going through the same training that our development directors go through so that we can experience and be familiar with the language and the processes they use and match and marry our great strategy and point of view even more closely in ways that will that will contribute to the enterprise. So that's just a handful, no shortage of things to be excited about.
0: Hey listeners, Chris and I were gonna record an ad discussing all the great aspects of Protopia, of which there are many, but instead we thought it would be even better to hear from one of Protopia's current partners. Here's Sally Sistar, Executive Director of Alumni Engagement at Denison University, talking about her experience with the technology. If you like what you hear, be sure to go to protopia.co forward slash alumnus and check it out. How do you see Protopia fitting into your plans? You mentioned a few ways that I might imagine it fitting in, but what do you think?
3: It's a tremendous fit. Listen, I cannot tell you how excited I was when I took this job to know that they already had Protopia, right? It's a very, very smart decision. Um, because one, it just, you know, it with the AI technology enabled, like it takes us out of the equation, right? It is really, A great tool for alumni and students to ask those questions and be connected to you know the the top experts right or the top individuals to answer those questions for them Um, what i've been really excited to hear about here at denison is you know if that question goes to five alumni well all five of our graduates are answering and then it gets into you know like Um, a train of communications between them and the individual asking the question. So it's really facilitating community for us in a way that we couldn't do that ourselves. If we were at the helm of trying to, you know, facilitate someone's question, going to those individuals, right? It's just, it's automatic and that's the beauty of it. Um, The other thing I would say to you is that it is also, it's bringing people into um it's engaging alumni that may not have engaged with us in any other way right but they really are appreciative that you know they get an opportunity to to help another alumni um member or help a student um so i just i mean i can't say enough great things about what a difference maker that has been for us on the engagement level
0: Let's just stop for just a quick second, Chris, and promote our next show, which is in two weeks.
1: Yeah, we have uh, someone I've worked with um, for a while and a wonderful guest, Cheryl Harrelson, currently at UC San Diego, but do you know what's next for her chapter? (laughs) Yeah, she's on May 1, she'll start as the Vice President for Advancement, leaving an AVP for an alumni engagement role to become a Vice President for Advancement again which she was at New Mexico State. She went to UC San Diego in an AVP alumni and career services role. And she's moving back to a VP for advancement role at Georgia State University starting on May 1. But she uh, graciously agreed to stay on our show as a UCSD guest and talk about lots of things. And she's awesome. She's fun, super smart, and has great perspective. And we'll have a great show with
0: Cheryl as well. Yeah, that'll be great. Well, um, normally we kick off the, the second half, Sarah, with just, people who aren't all that familiar with the university of wisconsin madison you know that's no one no one is not familiar with uw i know everyone's heard of it but i know lots of people have never been there people know you're the badgers and know about madison but what's the what's it like there on campus what's the vibe
2: oh my gosh i well i mean everybody thinks their campus is the most beautiful but i i have to say we're we're so fortunate you know uw madison sits in a medium-sized city, our state capital in South Central Wisconsin, and our, our university sits on 936 acres that butt up against Lake Mendota. So you can see, if you can see the picture behind me, um, that's my, the, the West side entrance of our alumni center. And, and whoops, I'm pointing the wrong way. That's a lake. So I have, um, I have Lake Mendota right out my window and the lake, and then immediately to my west, no, it will be that way, sorry, Um, and my cat, of course, just jumped up in my lap because he knows (laughs) that I'm in the middle of something, Um, Mm -hmm. is our Memorial Union and our Memorial Union Terrace. So we pride ourselves as a university on a really strong sense of place, physical beauty. We also um, really uh, recognize and try to honor and try to Keep in the front of our mind that you know the university has been here for 175 years, but this area of Wisconsin has been occupied for more than 12,000 years by Native people. And so the we have four lakes in the Madison area, and the Ho Chunk word is de-jope. And so really recognizing and bringing that history in is something that um, something that's present in our university. You know, it is 50,000 students. Um, if you took the faculty, staff, and students of Madison um, and considered it a city, it would be the fourth largest city in Wisconsin. Um, and it is, it is full of energy. It is full of, of energy, uh, irreverence in a spirited, intelligent way, active, um, vocal, but very dedicated, very smart, and, and humble people. So physical beauty, Fun and funny and smart and humble people. A lot of good places to eat. Great weather in the summer. Great weather in the winter, honestly. Um
1: That photo was taken in June, wasn't it, Sarah? <laughs>
2: no, actually, this <laughs> photo was taken last year. We are having such a warm winter. All the snow is melted. And actually, the lake is breaking up today, which is kind of sad environmentally. It's a little scary um for us. but And big winter festivals happening couldn't happen. But this is typically what it looks like yep. in the winter only. I'm here
1: 10 inches of snow on the ground and a storm coming in tonight. So we're getting it over here. (laughs) You're
2: more wintry than we are right now, but yeah, it's a, Madison's a great city and UW is just a a beating heart of that.
0: Yeah. No, no pickup hockey out your window at this moment, but uh, on a good year, right? Not at
2: this moment, but I can look up, I can look up the lakeshore. Um, any in a regular winter and the fraternities are right up that street and literally in a typical winter there's at least eight different ice rinks so it's like I go home from work and I look and it's like the kids are outside playing ice hockey after school there's just like hockey hockey oh. hockey, hockey hockey all the way up the lake.
0: That is really cool. Uh, Chris, you've been to campus, right? You've been to oh, yeah. Yeah. Madison. I've never been. What's What have been your impressions? It's uh, breathtakingly beautiful.
1: Um, uh, everything Sarah said, but let me throw a couple other um, physical things. And we'll talk about the people a little bit, too. But but uh, a beautiful alumni center located on the lake. And it's the only place where I've been where there's an alumni dock. Because in the yes. summer, they, 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 you have an alumni boat as well, Sarah?
2: Yep, we have a, <laughs> a pontoon. We have a (laughs) pontoon boat that was donated and we use that as a way for, for staff teams to go out. We do a member every Friday in the summer. We have members, WAA members take boat rides. It's a stewardship for, for donors. It's sometimes used for student athlete recruitment. Oh yeah. It's awesome.
1: And when I was there, um, it was about eight, eight to 10 years ago was the window I was working with you guys. And, um, one of the things you guys were building at the time was, it was alumni Plaza. Is that the, what you call it? Yeah.
2: Uh, alumni Park. Park. Mm-hmm. Park. Alumni Park.
1: Yep. Mm-hmm. So, the, you know, there's just a the, clear dedication to, I mean, well, it, at some institutions, the community is faculty, staff, and students. At Wisconsin, the community is faculty, staff, students, and alumni right in there. For so sure. I love that part for of it. For sure. And the other impression I have too, starting with Paula Bonner, your predecessor, Sarah Shoot yourself, and then the, the the gentleman who oversees the whole thing at the foundation level, Mike Knetter, you know, three of the best thoughtful, strategic leaders I've ever worked with. Wonderful, wonderful people. So with this great place and ethos and, and culture, there's these great leaders that go with it. So it's just, it's one of the top places out there in the country, as far as I'm concerned. So well done all around.
2: Prince, that's like you that's very kind. So
3: you he the last,
2: uh, well, some days, some, whenever Chris comes to visit, we do. Um, we have a in case the last two summers and they're coming for a third is holding their summer institutes right. on our campus, right. so that and that has been so wonderful um that they're you know s- several hundred people who've never been and we're spreading the experience yep. so and Madison
1: great. is a fun town too to, to just be in the town
0: nearby. I had my fill of
1: cheese curds while I was there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> So, what have you learned about the unique qualities of, of your alumni, and Sarah? I'm sure you spent a lot of time thinking about them and what they're all about. How would you describe?
2: You know, I think one uh, one permeating characteristic of our alumni, and this is probably true everywhere else too, but I'm going to claim it as ours is. You can have the most accomplished person. I mean, we have Tony Award winning Broadway stars. We have the the U.S. ambassador to the U.N., um, CNN correspondents, captains in, of industry, and to the person, you will say, oh, my gosh, we're so proud that you're an alum, and they will sheepishly kind of say, you know, I I had a great education at Wisconsin. I had no idea this, this is where I would end up, and I just got lucky along the way. And I, I think, and you know, if you hear that from one person, you're sort of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. consistently even our most accomplished alumni recognize and thank goodness for us they do recognize the power of the education and the quality of the education they got the quality of the experience that shaped them into who they are and are really humble about it I think that is that is something that continually impresses me there is also kind of a really unique I said irreverent earlier, irreverent sense of humor, sort of an ironic irreverence. Take it to the edge of almost (laughs) being inappropriate, but not quite kind of of vibe that happens. And I think, and this is true, I know of many, many places, just this this passion for wanting the current students to have as good, if not better experience than they had and thinking about what are students doing now? How can I make it better? Um, those are things that always consistently stand out.
1: Can you, can you, real quick, right before you go, Sarah, off top of your head, one, two or three names of alums who are the big names in Wisconsin alumni lore.
2: Oh my gosh. I mean, I can name, um, uh, well, you know, you have athletes, Russell Wilson, JJ Watt, you know, all, all of our tremendous um, athletic program, um, women's volleyball, Dina um, you know, it's Linda Thomas-Greenfield, who is the U.S. ambassador to the U.N., who I have huge respect for and is lovely, lovely. Andre DeShields is the Tony Award winner.
3: Yeah.
2: Manu Raju's um, CNN. Wow. Uh, yep. uh, correspondent. You know, those are those are ones who I I think of, you know, people lesser known. You know, Ali Willis, who's a musician who wrote the theme song for Friends and also um, wrote most of Earth, Wind and Fire songs as a UW grad um Jim Lovell from Apollo 13 is sure, W yeah. grads so yeah. John Muir um yeah all right you got those them in some, those,
1: are, yeah. those are all there great we
2: go. there we go
0: one of your alumni surprised you
2: um you know at the risk of sounding cliche Ryan um it, it has been pleasantly you know it has been um and, and it has surprised me by the consistency of their excitement and their passion. And I, you know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking now in sports and, and not everything of course is about sports, but I think about, um, our, our women's volleyball team is very, very good. We were really hoping that they would have taken a really, um, had had another national championship this year. They were too. They, uh, they, You know, Texas was an incredible opponent in the Final Four. And one of the things that surprised me in a very pleasant way after that was while social media really hammered on the team, the alumni base said, We are so proud of you because it isn't all about winning. We are proud of you for who you are as people and how you represented the university. And it's not, this isn't specific to volleyball. That's just a very recent example. And I think, That pleasant surprise of our alumni being able to look beyond maybe the more superficial markers of success and really stay focused on the substantive, authentic, good people. Um, We want to generate good people who are doing good things in the world first and foremost, and people's just undying commitment to that and consistent expression of that.
1: Sarah, Sarah, you've done some really cool things over the recent years in your leadership role there. Um, I've followed it, and we've talked about it. In fact, I've I've had you talk to my clients because you do such cool things.
2: <laughs> <Just appreciate laughs> Thank you.
1: Um, share share a point of pride and what you do to keep things fresh there in your work.
2: Yeah, yeah. you mean besides watching this podcast?
1: Right. Something exactly. Right.
2: Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> um, um, you know, I'm really proud of how Closely, we collaborate with our colleagues in marketing. Um, marketing is a separate division, but we're all in advancement. And and specifically, how closely we collaborate in data. And we we have for nine years done an affinity survey uh, with our alumni. We have nine years of incredible data that tells us more about how our alumni think and feel, and how we've been able to collaborate on what that tells us, and then use that to build strategy, to try to affect change. So one, I mean, just one tangible example is uh, we noticed that our recent grads um, had had a really, really high feeling of recommending the university and willingness to advocate, not so much um, likelihood to give. So we changed our strategy with them. We took them off of annual giving asks for the first three years after graduation And we resourced engagement activity. And over the course of the last three years, we have seen their affinity scores, their feeling of connected, their feeling of informed go up when we're seeing all other age cohorts go down. So our ability, and it's not braggy, it's really a collective kind of, we're going to use data, we're going to look at data, we're going to make choices where we want to move the needle, we're going to thoughtfully apply strategies, and then we're going to see if it worked or not really really proud of that process and how we manifest that over a variety of different um age cohorts and and audiences
1: yeah i, I don't think it's bragging at all i think it's just really smart use of data and <laughs> and let's go back to us for a second and just say and rewind and and, and say you just out loud said we don't you know, i'm i'm going to paraphrase but basically you're not soliciting your young alums for the first 3 years out do so yeah. you know any other we do to make that decision <laughs>
2: I don't. We do. I should say we do solicit them for the days of giving Day of because giving. That that's usually
1: where you hear. Yeah,
2: we yeah. approach as an engagement first sure. and foremost. So we want their participation, and we solicit their participation in social and stories and a gift if they want. But in terms of the mailers, we we don't. We don't centrally from the alumni association on behalf of the university solicit them for annual giving for the first three years
1: or yeah, the day, the day for giving, membership yeah that, that's great the day of giving um pieces feels more organic and grassroots so it would be natural to include them in that versus the other direct mail stuff so let me let yeah. me flip the coin on you and, yeah. and say you know in 10 so you've been the leader there now for 10 how long how many years has it been
2: no seven
1: about seven, seven years uh-huh. control, but you, that's right the change happened right before that's right But are the things that you did have tried that didn't work? This sounds like an interview question. Give me an example of a time where you tried, (laughs) like a job interview question. Something that failed, what did you learn from it?
2: I, I, this is is a hard question, not because I can't think of anything, but because there's so many. I can't, I can't think of um, one. But, well, no, actually, there is one. that we, we, a couple of years ago, were trying to be really strategic about our chapter scholarship program and work much more closely with the university on trying to align the chapter scholarships and their recipients with university recruitment priorities. And a, a whole year-long process was, in a, was implemented to have a small group of chapter leaders work through and pilot a thing. And then at the end of that, we thought, yep, this is going to work, and we announced it, and it sort of blew up. It didn't sort of, it blew up. Um, (laughs) and it was not pretty. And uh, I would say the, um, the variable was, even though we had involved some stakeholders in the, a small group of stakeholders in the process, we did not do a good enough job of bringing people along and involving them in the, in the thought, in the thinking we sort of, we didn't do change management well. So given how, well, I feel like our merger did change management to not take that lesson. Big miss on on our yeah. part, on my part. But the lesson in that, and when I think back on things that have happened, that we've tried, tried that we've done, that were not optimal, it kind of all centers around this idea of we didn't ask our stakeholders enough. We didn't seek enough input from them. We weren't thoughtful enough about the impact on the, the ecosystem and really kind of got more centered on ourself and our process than on their experience. So I, I would say that is a theme of when things aren't optimal for us is when we've, we've almost, we've given ourselves too much credit for what we know or what we think we know and not mm-hmm. engage them.
1: Such great self-awareness that what you just articulated is what I would boil down to self-awareness about decisions you made and how you go about it. So when you're facing them next time, you know what to do, not do, right?
2: Because so much value isn't just being asked for your opinion. Yeah,
1: you know, amen. I think
2: yeah. people people can get over if you don't take it, but if you don't ask is when you get into that riskier space. Yep.
0: Yeah, I have particularly to say those I volunteers of- that have been engaged for years, you know, and, and are used to being consulted, right, and are going to let you know because you've always asked them to let you know, right? Um yeah. Yeah. And, um, I, I was just going to say the times I get most mad
1: at my alma mater is when they don't do that. Right? Cause I am that person very involved, been a donor yeah. forever, all that. And then when they do
0: something, I'm like, wait, what? And then I get mad. <laughs> yeah. They just didn't do yeah. 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 Sarah, let's switch gears just a little bit. Let's go to our Friday cheers section of the show. Woo-hoo. We always try to end our week on something. Maybe it's advancement related. Maybe it's not, but um, something that's brings you inspiration, something that's got you thinking. What is your Friday cheers?
2: Chris had mentioned that uh, I was at the CAAE Winter Institute last week, and so that in and of it's like that entire experience um, with with around sixty five colleagues who do my who do our jobs all, all over the country, um, is is enriching and definitely brought me great cheer. We had a speaker um, during the institute, and I put I put a link in our little chat here um, Muhammad Anwar, who, who is a, a leader of a company who has transitioned into being a leader and consultant for how to lead. Um, and he and a colleague, Frank Dana, his colleague, not mine, wrote a book, um, called love as a business strategy. And that was just such a, his talk, his humility, his vulnerability, his going through his process of how he learned and what he learned Um, was really inspirational just hearing from him, but the content of his book and what he presented was such a good reminder that, you know, we've got all this stuff coming at us all the time, you know, questions about higher ed and questions, you know, with state legislatures for those of us in public institutions and, you know, some worries about declining enrollment and people feel a sense of belonging and all that coming at us. And this was such a great reminder that really it comes down to this, my soul's hierarchy, fundamental importance of the human need for connection and relationship and to feel heard and to feel valued and for people to just be real with each other. And time and time and time again, that's when you're stuck, that's the solution. That's the best solution. So that's maybe, that's maybe a little. I don't know. Too awesome. heavy
0: yeah. for a Friday dinner. Did you want to read that book? We should suggest it to our friends at Washburn McGoldrick. Maybe for the client conference, they're looking yeah, for some yeah, yeah. Good, good ideas. Oh, we'll make sure he link-
2: was terrific. He was.
3: Yeah.
2: yeah. So I mean, that was that was a great that was a great thing. I if I can cheat and add another one, completely unrelated. Recently, I came across the best cookie recipe that has like <laughs> it's chocolate chip with espresso powder and Baileys in it. And I took it to like a little gathering. You, They are to die for. So, you know, if you need something on the opposite end of completely shallow and self-indulgent, I'm happy to send you the recipe. That's definitely a cheer.
0: Man, Love that it. sounds delicious. Yeah. We'll, we'll
2: make <laughs> sure
1: the link to the book. And if you can send us the chocolate chip recipe, we'll put it in the description for the podcast
0: so people can click
2: on it. <laughs> I, will, I, will, it. I will send it to you after the show.
0: Great. Right. <laughs> Chris, how about you? What's your Friday cheers? Yeah, this this isn't as uh,
1: decadent or lofty. It's it's something sort of practical. And I've seen this unfold over the last week or so. And it's kind of been on my mind, something I would have been, if we were at a water cooler, I'd be asking you about. And it's about performance management, how we manage our staff. And I find it extremely easy. I was a former literal coach, like I was a coach of a team. And when someone's doing well, to tell them they're doing well and coach them up, make them feel good about it, I, that's a natural thing for me. I do it all the time. But I've seen examples recently where, where the great things are happening and the leaders aren't saying anything about it. I'm like, come on, you are going to acknowledge that. And the flip side is, I just saw an example, you know, there's a lot of examples when someone is not performing well and to let give them the feedback and to help them get to a point where they're performing well again, um, or making a decision that maybe it's not the right fit for them and they need to move on from the organization. Those are really hard conversations, uncomfortable, confrontational in some extreme cases, and they can be unpleasant. Um, But I just saw another example of one where that was done really, really well with such kindness and care, you know, to be clear is kind is the expression I've heard along the way. And and I saw this example play out recently that it, it, it sort of drove home in a consultant role. We don't get a lot of time to get in at that level, but, uh, I've been observing this recently that uh, that people in your role, Sarah, and the people that report to you who manage people, um, how we manage, how we lead, and how we handle performance management is a kind of goes back to some of the basic needs that people have about feeling good about their lives and their position in it. And I just think it's something that, you know, I love to explore this in a topic one day with one of our guests, but I think it's something that, could be done really well and could be done really bad, and has a big difference on the impact the, the the organization has as well. So, organizational health is a big part of performance management. So, that
0: yeah. was mine. Well, I had two from, kind of went from to lofty
1: to decadent to practical, Ryan. What are you going to bring?
0: <laughs> Both completely useless. Uh, um, the uh, we had a great um, sort of sidebar conversation on our CMC. LinkedIn page, I posted an article from Butler University in Indiana, Indianapolis, who recently is in the process of building new housing for students, but they're going to offer the housing for alumni too. And they've recognized that a lot of Butler alumni uh, love living close by campus and really could use that access to the university's amenities, the gym, you know, other uh, components on campus. And so they're building housing and they're going to offer that housing to graduates. And it was a great article. And it was, I'd never heard of that before. It probably yeah. exists in other places. Uh, the but, thing I've ever um, heard is with senior alumni coming back to near campus, but not to the group that you're talking about. It was more younger t- target audience. Yeah, recent graduates. Yeah. yeah. And so I thought that that was really a pretty decent. interesting Piece. We posted it to the, the CMAC LinkedIn page. If you're not a follower of that page, definitely follow up and um, check out that article. And the other one's kind of silly. My, my favorite uh, comedy television show of all time is, is Modern Family. And um, just a great ensemble cast. Just love the show. And, and Sophia Vergara uh, plays this sort of unforgettable character on that show and really a great comedian who started out her career as a model and so on, but really has a great comedic timing. There's a show on Netflix now where she plays a totally different character. She plays a a drug dealer named Griselda Blanco, who was famous in uh, Florida during the, the 80s. And I just thought she did such a tremendous job, like transforming from the character we saw on Modern Family to this ruthless drug dealer. And, um, you know, there's a this true story, right. And of course em- embellished, but she was a producer on the show. So she, she had her eye on that character, I think for many years. And I thought she did a tremendous job. It's a mini series I think It's like seven or eight episodes. But if you haven't checked it out, it was well worth your binge uh, time for some Netflix. All right. Well, thank you for everyone who's listening for picking up the podcast. Sarah, great to have the chance yeah. to chat
2: with thank you this you week. For so much
0: fun, as always. Wonderful
1: insights. Thank you.
2: Thank you so much. Yeah, we'll It was great being here. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, Thank you. We'll be back with Cheryl uh, Harrelson in uh, two weeks' time. And uh, for Chris and for Sarah, I'm Ryan signing off for this week. Thanks so much. Take care. Until next time.
2: Bye. I'm Wisconsin.
0: I got my pen it up for you. <laughs>